This podcast is brought to you by the NATO Association of Canada and the University of Toronto's NATO Research Group. Ce balado vous est présenté par l'Association canadienne pour l'OTAN et le Centre de recherche sur l'OTAN de l'Université de Toronto. Gender equality is not only a fundamental human right, but a necessary foundation for a peaceful, prosperous and sustainable world. Today, we explore the importance of the UN Sustainable Development Goal number five, achieve gender equality and empower all women and girls. Joining me today to speak on this topic is retired Canadian Lieutenant General Chris Whitecross. Lieutenant General Whitecross enrolled in the Canadian Forces in 1982 and joined the Canadian Military Engineers. She has a bachelor's in chemical engineering from Queen's University and a master's in defense studies from the Royal Military College of Canada. Lieutenant General Whitecross was named one of Canada's top 100 most powerful women in 2011 and in 2016. Prior to her retirement in December of 2020, Lieutenant General Whitecross was appointed commander of the Canadian Forces Strategic Response Team on Sexual Misconduct in February of 2015. And in November 2016, Lieutenant General Whitecross was appointed commandant of the NATO Defense College in Rome, Italy. My name is Eric Jackson. I am a program editor of the NATO Association of Canada. Each episode, we'll explore how the Sustainable Development Goals relate and address global security topics. The goal of this podcast is to highlight the need to incorporate sustainability in all our solutions. The world is changing, so too should our approach to emerging threats. Welcome to Sustainable Security. Ms. Whitecross, thank you so much for joining me today. It's, I'm absolutely delighted to be here. Thanks, Eric. We are talking about sustainable development and the sustainable development goals, particularly SDG number five, the empowerment of women and girls all around the world. And you had a historic career within the Canadian Forces and after nearly 40 years where you did become a champion of gender equality, what does the achievement of gender equality and the empowerment of women mean to you as it relates to our military? Does the achievement of goal five directly relate to a more secure and peaceful society? Short answer is absolutely exclamation mark. There is definitely an added bonus to ensuring that 50% of the population is taken into context or taken into consideration whenever making decisions, whether it's security, you know, economy, population, uh, policies, uh, government policies, doesn't matter what. It just makes sense when you take in 100% of the population's needs. Now, 50% of the population are women. So when you garner all of what that means, I mean, what you're basically giving people are, you know, different ideas to old solutions, to old problems, so that you can hopefully garner a better solution moving forward. So, you know, I've been pretty vocal throughout the years that uh, women and men are different. I mean, there's no doubt in my mind. In many ways, we're different. In many ways, we're very much the same. But sometimes we think differently. And so when we're faced with um, a problem, uh, generational or economic or security or or whatever, um, it just makes sense when you can harness 100% of the population to figure out, you know, where should you move forward from that? I mean, if you look at conflicts, there has been many studies uh, that say that when women are at the table for conflict resolution, you have a more sustainable conflict resolution policies uh, and, and, and workabouts. And, and so why wouldn't you harness that? Why wouldn't you create that environment where you're really grappling from all of the population and all of the great ideas that people bring to bear? That makes a lot of sense. And it, it's clear that 
when we have a population as diverse as Canada, men and women across society, as well as multicultural perspectives, it's so vital that we have that different perspective in our armed forces. And you retired as the first Canadian three-star lieutenant general, which is extremely amazing and the highest ranking female officer when you did retire. With this in mind, can you speak to the importance of having women in leadership positions and how that impacts decision-making as you just sort of alluded to right there? So I just want to make a quick point because uh, as you alluded to about harnessing the, the whole population, it's not just gender. It's also, it's the age, talking to young and old, to, to speaking to those who have more experience and less experience. It's about cultures, it's about language, it's about ethnicities. It's, you know, it's the whole gamut of what makes us a multicultural society. But in terms of my role as, you know, Lieutenant General of Canadian Armed Forces and the decision makers and the leadership qualities, you know, I've, I've also been fairly, I'm not hard by, but I've been fairly clear in that um, one of the things that I think leaders need to really possess, and certainly in today's environment, is a lot more of those soft qualities, those soft competencies. And, and the word soft is, is really a bad adjective for this. It's, it's those human qualities, humility, trust, integrity, loyalty, because those at the core are what creates the environment that allows you to move forward and get the work done. Mm -hmm. uh, and in many ways, the people look at this congruent, whether or not those qualities are congruent with the warrior, warrior fighter in a military context. And, you know, and I would say unequivocally that they are congruent. Uh, you cannot have a warrior mentality, a warrior fighting mentality without caring for the people that work for you or the people that are surrounding you. And caring for them really means about trusting them, creating that environment where people feel that their participation is valued, that they're encouraged, you know, and all those things that are really important. Um, my second point I'd like to make is that, you know, the government of Canada has put in this gender-based analysis, GBA+. Plus, concept. And the idea mm -hmm. is when you look at a policy or when you look at solutions that you're bringing forward, or when you're looking at options, you really need to put this gender-based analysis in the view. And, and it's not just, again, uh, gender. And gender isn't binary, as you and I both know. Yep. You know, there's, there's far more fluidness it's, but it's not just gender. Again, it's age, it's language, it's nationality, it's where, where you live regionally. You know, it's that whole concept. And I, and I can use two really great examples. In operations, if you, if you don't put sort of that thought in your military planning, you're going to miss out on what creates the environment that you are trusted on the ground. So quick example, I'm an engineer. So one of the things that we may do on operations is you know, freedom of movement, allowing not just military troops to move from point A to point B, but to, to think about that particular route and can it be also used by, um, you know, the people in the village, women particularly. So if you're going to be building a bridge, are you building it so that they have access to medical facilities, to the markets, to schools, uh, or are you only focusing in on the military aspects of it? So Having that group think on how your footprint on the ground or how your leadership is being perceived on the ground and to equate that with the needs of those that are there, I mean, that is tremendously powerful. Mm -hmm. uh, it also happened in the floods in Canada and domestic ops here in Canada. I mean, the, 
the folks that were in charge of the flood support, they really looked at um, the demographics of the area, which is part and parcel of it. And, and they had determined in one particular case that one area that has been greatly affected had a large older uh, population there. Uh, and so they had to make sure they were met with somebody who understood uh, as much as possible the constraints that they were under, given, you know, given their age. And that, again, what does that do? It creates trust uh, and it creates a, a far better environment and su- success ultimately. It's very interesting that you mentioned that. And one thing that I'm taking away from your point there is that gender equality or equality as a whole when it comes to the sustainable development goals is not just about from your own perspective, from the Canadian force perspective, but it's also about recognizing gender equality decision making for the outcome perspective as well. So it's not just gender equality in the Canadian forces, but it's gender equality for the implementation of operations as well. And that's a very interesting perspective because there's a two sides to that discussion. There's two sides to that action and operation where you have to consider equality from both perspectives. That's a very interesting insight from that. Absolutely. Um, because, you know, we've learned sometimes the hard way historically, you know, and I'm talking not just Canadians, but people from around the world that we've learned mm-hmm. that if you're in an environment, say a counterinsurgency environment, or whatever, you really need the support of the people in the local area. In order to garner that support, you need to consider their needs. No, absolutely. And, and on the topic of around the world, and, and, and NATO is very much a global organization at this point, and you spent part of your career in Europe with NATO. So what successes and challenges have NATO had as a multilateral organization in promoting gender equality, not just amongst its member states, but also around the world? That's an interesting and very difficult question to answer. I mean, in terms of, I'm going to take the challenges first, but in terms of the challenges, there are 30 NATO nations and there are more than, well, there are around 40 NATO partner nations. So the challenge is not all nations are created equal. I mean, that's the reality. Um, I am absolutely delighted uh, and proud that Canada is a leader in terms of gender equality and inclusiveness around the world. And and there aren't a lot of nations that puts that as its ideology as a fundamental tenant uh, of who they are. And so I'm, I'm very proud of that. But not all nations are like Canada. Um, and so the reality um, is it's not necessarily as well understood or accepted or perceived. And, and it's not, I'm not being um, critical. I'm just, it is, it's just the reality. You know, I can remember when I was at the NATO Defense College, I was having a chat with a gentleman from a country that used to be a Soviet country is now a part of NATO. <laughs> and we were having this discussion in the hallway and, you know, and he was talking, we were basically talking about women in leadership in the militaries. And, and I was automatically convinced that he was going to neg- be negative about the whole idea, but I was, I was pleasantly surprised. And the thing that really changed my mind about it is his comment was, it's not that they don't believe in it. It's just that they don't have the background, the policies or the HR policies that will embrace it at this time. And that they need to really encourage that and they need to work those issues uh, so that they can, they can start um, making it a tenant uh, sort of thing. So, you know, that was a bit, of a bit of a watershed moment for me. But in terms of the successes, even with all of the challenges that I've mentioned, one of, the, one of the successes is that there is dialogue. Mm-hmm. There is a realizing on many, and then they are learning from each other. 
they're learning from certain countries such as Canada. They're learning by and they're learning by example. Um, and um, there is a push, uh, I think, well, I know in NATO to increase the number of senior women in leadership roles, to increase the number of women in the military, to participate in the UN SCR 1325 uh, action plans, you know, all of that. I mean, there is a special advisor for the status of women um, that works for the Secretary General of NATO. I mean, so those things are positive reinforcements. Um, so, you know, I really think that things are, are going to get better. Um, because first of all, they have to get better. Um, there is mm -hmm. no doubt in my mind um, that if we don't take this uh, seriously and we don't start pushing the issues, that we're just we're we're almost going to be seeing the same problems through the same lens as we have or in the past. Uh, you know, at the NATO Defense College, um, we we only just brought in while I was there uh, a couple of years ago the first gender advisor. Um, and this is a premier educational institution for professional military education for NATO. Um, so, I mean, it is starting, um, but you know, they have a long way to go as, as do we all. All around the world, there is this sort of systemic issue of gender equality and it has to be acknowledged and it has to be rectified because everyone deserves to be treated equally and everyone must be treated equally. And it's important to recognize that Canada, while it is a leader internationally in gender equality, also has its issues. And, and over the last past year, the Canadian forces had a number of very serious sexual assault allegations amongst the senior officials in the military, um, resulting in criminal investigations in, in some cases. So when, when sexual assaults occur against women in our armed forces, does it undermine the effectiveness of our military and make us less secure as a society? I mean, absolutely. Any situation where you are creating the environment that people are afraid in a military sense, you no longer have an effective fighting force. Uh, and I would say the same for any, whether it's the boardroom, whether it's, you know, industry, government, uh, academia, doesn't matter. You know, I think there's two issues here. One, socially, it's the right thing to do. You need to treat people with dignity and respect regardless of who they are. Um, we learned that in, in, in kindergarten. I mean, we were taught at a very young age that them, it's important that, that you treated everybody well. And I think we need to take that into consideration, certainly as, you know, as the, the older you get and the more influential you become, uh, whether that's through you know, appointments or, um, or rank or whatever. The second thing is it, there's an operational imperative to treating people properly. You can't be an effective fighting force if some of the people that work for you or in, within your team are afraid of the person standing beside them or second guess what they do because of maybe some type of uh, thought process that you know reverberates around the organization you can't be an effective fighting force and you can't bring your whole your whole being to bear in a crisis situation if you're worried about something else that extends to your family life if you are worried about something happening at home you know, in this case, we're talking about sexual misconduct, but it could be anything. You are not an effective, you are not going to be effective, as effective as you should be as a, as a fighter, as a warrior. So in terms of, does it make sense? There's a social imperative. I mean, it's just, it just makes sense socially, but there's an operational imperative. And, and without considering those, those two, um, again, we go back to your very first question, uh, and that is, you know, people, there's a fundamental misunderstanding of the importance of this. And I think if we can just characterize it in those two ways, I think it'll be better. 
off in terms of getting people to really buy in. I think that is the key thing of characterizing a way that everyone can understand that it is imperative. It is so key that we recognize the systemic issues in our society and work towards a, a more equal where women don't have to fear about being sexually assaulted because that is, it's outrageous and it's, it's not appropriate in today's modern world. And to finish off this wonderful conversation, I, I want to draw from your role as a leader of the Canadian Forces Strategic Response Team on sexual misconduct in 2015. And what must be done going forward in both Canada and around the world to promote gender equality and peace? So I would just like to add that it's not just gender equality. It's I, mm-hmm. I much prefer the word inclusiveness. And, and that's so that takes in not just gender as a binary concept, but it takes in whatever makes us different. Um, and in this case, uh, more, more predominantly, I guess, I guess is gender, but it's really about being more inclusive and allowing yeah, your people to be comfortable for who and what they are. And how do we do that? Well, we need to convince people. I've said that in the very first start, but you need to create a, um, an environment of trust. You need to create a, an environment where dignity for all uh, and those aren't just catchphrases. I, you know, I fundamentally uh, believe in that. And how mm-hmm. do you do that? You need to maintain the dialogue. You need to educate. You need to communicate. And that can't be, it has to be a steady drumbeat. We can't just, you know, start up and then a couple of years from now talk about it again. But it needs to be a steady drumbeat. You need to engage. You need to engage those that are affected and those that are doing the affecting. And you need to understand it a little bit better. And you need to make it really clear on what is and is not appropriate behavior. And, you know, unfortunately, we need to have those discussions on what is and, uh, and is not uh, appropriate behavior. And, follow, and, you know, after that, you need to follow up. You need to monitor what's going on. You need to have your mm-hmm. finger on the pulse and you, and you need to follow up in a very pragmatic uh, and sustaining way, which means if you do see something, you need to act. And, you know, I, I'm one of the firm believers that the far majority of cases that we have, and I'm not talking the more serious ones, but certainly the ones that could potentially lead to more serious cases, they're not meant to be malicious or anything. You know, it's, it's, it's really educating people about how your words can affect another human being. When you do have those conversations, you know, sometimes the light goes off and they realize, uh, holy cow, I never thought of that. I, I never put myself in that person's space. You know, when I was um, chief military personnel a couple of years ago, I had a, a commandant that worked for me. He said to me, this is how I, I characterize that particular situation to the people who work for me and the new recruits. I want you to envision your mother and your daughter, your wife uh, and your sister. And, and if somebody was to say that to them, would you be okay with it? Mm-hmm. I thought, wow, that's pretty powerful stuff, Um, because the reality is you wouldn't be okay with it. So, you know, sometimes it just takes that little measure of a little step forward to say, you know, to have the dialogue, to increase people's awareness and understanding of of how words hurt and and can affect people. That's a a really powerful way to, to conclude this conversation. It's about putting it into perspective that people can understand the gravity of the situation. And, and, all, and, and shifting the conversation away from just gender equality to inclusivity. That is what we're talking about. It's making sure that we have a more inclusive society that respects everyone because of who they are and, not, and it's not isolating people from each other. Yeah. And when you do that, you will be amazed at how tremendously successful you are because now you've allowed people to be innovative. 
you have allowed them to come in with uh, new think, new ways of doing business that you may never have considered before. I mean, it, it, is, very, it is very empowering. Chris, I want to thank you so, so much for this conversation. It's been wonderful. It's been enlightening. And I'm sure our audience is going to really enjoy understanding why the achievement of SDG goal number five is so important for a more secure and peaceful society. And ultimately, is so important that Canada be, can continue to be a leader in this fight to achieve the sustainable development goals. So, Chris, again, thank you so much for joining me today. I really did appreciate this conversation. That's all we have time for today. Thank you so much for tuning in. To learn more about the NATO Association of Canada, look us up online at natoassociation.ca and follow us on Twitter, LinkedIn, and Facebook to stay up to date on all things NATO. Until next time, take care.